This is episode 71 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the Houdini Wonder Show. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 71. Wow, we have so much news to cover. Uh, First, I want to say happy birthday to my dear friend Cesario Pelaez. He would have been 89 years old on October 16th, which was Saturday yesterday. Uh, he was, of course, the creator and one of the stars of the world-famous Le Grand David Magic Spectacular from Beverly, Massachusetts. He played the part of Marco the Magi. He passed away in 2012, which ushered in the end of that wonderful magical production. Please, please go to my blog, uh, themagicdetective.com. That's themagicdetective.com for my review of the new book, David Copperfield's History of Magic by David Copperfield and co-authored by Richard Wiseman and David Britlin and absolutely incredible photography by Homer Lee Wag. Uh, the reason I'm pointing you there is because uh, I was allowed to show some photographs uh, with you from the book and they are just fantastic. So please go over and check out my review. I will put a link to the uh, to the blog in the show notes for today. Now, my next podcast, not this one today, but the next one, I intend to do something a little different and give you a little bit of a treat. I'm going to be presenting for you what is essentially an old-style radio drama like those that were done in the early days of radio. The episode is a fictional story based upon the posters of Harry Keller, and it's aptly titled... The Devil and Harry Keller. Uh, It came from a short story I wrote a few years ago, and I decided to go ahead and put it together as a radio drama. I've only shared the short story with a handful of people, so I think you're going to find this very entertaining and um, quite in line with the facts of his life, despite the fact that one of the characters is totally fictitious. That will be the Halloween episode. And now, take a listen to a short audio commercial. My name is Joshua J, and I've been obsessed with magic since I was seven years old. It's all I've ever done. And now I'm here to share with you how magicians think. It's a podcast about what happens when you spend every waking second of your life pushing the boundaries of what's possible. I'll be doing a review of Joshua J's new book soon, but I wanted to share with you the information on his new podcast, which is based upon the book. He's already put out one episode, and it was really enjoyable. His format and style are different from mine. In fact, it's very different from all the other magic podcasts, as far as I can tell, but I found it hugely enjoyable. And the next episode, which drops tomorrow, Monday, October 18th, is on Holocaust magicians, which is a topic that I actually had in the lineup for this season, and I still may cover later. Please check out Joshua J's podcast, How Magicians Think, on your favorite podcasting service. Hey, 
Here's a big question for you. Are you ready for the auctions? Have you saved up some money? <laughs> the Ricky J and Ken Klosterman collections go up for uh, auction next week. Sotheby's for Ricky J and Potter and Potter for Klosterman. It's going to be incredible. And now, my friends, it's time for the feature. It's been a tradition on this podcast to do something on Houdini during the month of October. In the past, I've done like a Houdini week with several different podcasts about Houdini or on my blog, I've often done an article a day. But this year, I'm bringing you a piece that I wrote several years ago, and I think it's going to make a fine podcast episode. So today, I cover the Houdini Wonder Shows. Back in 2015, the rediscovery and re-release of the Grim Game was big news. I became intrigued with Houdini's movie career. While reading the Silverman biography on Houdini, I came across a curious passage about something called the Houdini Wonder Show, and I searched through other biographies and other online sources at that time and came up with pretty, well, I came up pretty much empty, uh, with one exception, and that was Joe Notoro's great blog called Harry Houdini Circumstantial Evidence.com, which I encourage you to check out if you've never done so. It's fantastic. He had a short piece on an escape artist who appeared in one of the shows. So I decided to take on the task of tracking down more information on this rarely covered wonder show. By 1922, Houdini had already made movies for Octagon and Paramount, but he had decided to go out on his own and create his own movies. The Man from Beyond was apparently written by Houdini in 10 days. Houdini also produced cut and edited the movie, and because he didn't have the backing of a big studio, he had to create his own publicity for the movie. Houdini put together a rather unique publicity campaign. Any theater showing the movie also got Houdini's Wonder Show. The movie debuted April in 1922 at the Times Square Theater and was a huge success. When Houdini first started doing The Wonder Show, he presented a straitjacket escape and the vanishing elephant. Then, The Man from Beyond was shown to the audience. The entire program of show and movie made a great night of entertainment. The concept proved to be really popular. Houdini then created four different units of his Wonder Show. Heading up unit number one of the Houdini Wonder Show was Frederick Eugene Powell and mentalist Virginia Carr. Powell presented very classic magic. His effects included the Decolta giant flower production, a multitude of handkerchief tricks with borrowed handkerchiefs, the production of numerous silks, which transformed into a giant flag, and he finished with the crystal coin ladder. Virginia Carr presented a mind-reading act, which by all accounts was a big hit. Unit number two of the Houdini Wonder Show featured Janesta, the escape artist, presenting his death-defying barrel mystery. Also in the show was manipulator Erickson and Mademoiselle Amelia. Erickson presented a classic card manipulation act similar to Cardini. Heading up unit number three of the Houdini Wonder Show was Professor DeMont, who presented magic, the Indian box mystery, and crystal gazing. He also added an escape from a large mahogany box. 
Finally, the number four unit of the Houdini Wonder Show was presented by Mystic Clayton, who did a mind-reading act. At some point in time, Frederick Melville was also added to the tour, though I find conflicting accounts of which show he was on. He may have been with unit number two, and he presented his radio-operated automaton mechanical man that he called Radiac. And I found a mention of yet another performer by the name of Benton who appeared in one of the shows. Houdini continued to make appearances at some of the showings of The Man from Beyond, but he scaled back his portion of the show. No longer was he doing the mammoth elephant vanish and straitjacket escape. Instead, he replaced the magic altogether with a talk and exposure on fake spirit phenomenon. All of the units presented an hour of magic and mystery along with the showing of Houdini's movie, The Man from Beyond. Now, who was Frederick Eugene Powell? Frederick Eugene Powell was born March 1, 1856 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His interest in magic began when he saw the great magicians of his day, Robert Heller, Senor Blitz, and Wyman the Wizard. Powell was one of the true old-timers in magic. Having lived through the late Victorian era right into the 20th century, he became the second dean of the Society of American Magicians, a title bestowed upon him by the then illustrious president, Houdini. He had a very interesting career as a full-time performer that was interrupted at one point when he took a position as chair of mathematics at the Pennsylvania Military Academy. This regular job only lasted a few years before he was back on the road doing magic. In 1899, Powell joined forces with Surveilly Roy and Imro Fox to build a show called the Triple Alliance. This was the precursor to Surveilly Roy's Monarchs of Magic. Fox only remained with the Triple Alliance for a year. Powell was one of the first to resurrect the Second Sight Act made popular by Robert Heller and before him Robert Houdin. He also presented illusions, including a cremation illusion and the Noah's Ark illusion. In 1915, a fire in Powell's home in Chester, Pennsylvania destroyed his entire show. He rebuilt the show, and in 1921, he had a new and larger show that was also destroyed, this time by a flood in San Antonio, Texas. His next stint in show business would be the Houdini Wonder Show. I will be covering Frederick Eugene Powell and another episode later down the road, but for now I just wanted to give you a little bit of information on him. Now, who was Virginia Carr? Virginia Carr was a crystal gazer mentalist. She was apparently quite sensational Uh, As many of the reviews made mention of her beauty and her incredible act. She was blonde and she was married to James Collerton in 1912 and had been married once uh, prior to that and had a son by the first marriage. In vaudeville, she performed as Princess Zuleka, the mystic mind reader. It would appear that her stint with the Houdini Wonder Show helped to propel her career as she went out on the road with the Virginia Car Extravaganza Show in 1923, produced by George MacDonald. The tour was to begin June 25th at the Strand Theater in Newark, but the show closed the following day. The initial reason for the show closing down was bad business due to the very hot weather, but soon the truth came out that it was actually marital infidelity that was the true reason. 
Earlier in the year, Carr had been performing with the W.I. Swain Show in New Orleans. There she met a young 23-year-old music director by the name of Andrew Paoli. They soon became romantically involved, and before long, she became engaged to Paoli. Carr claimed that her husband, Mr. Collerton, had died, and the two lovers married on June 6th in New York at the little church around the corner. Mr. Collerton, who was very much alive, had lost touch with his wife and had been searching for her. At some point, he heard that she remarried and was able to track down the church records that listed her as being 23 years old and widowed. Though I don't know her actual age, I'm gathering she was a little older than 23, given the fact that her son from the first marriage was 18 at the time. Mr. Collerton tracked down his wife and confronted her. She begged forgiveness and left Paoli to return to life with James Collerton. All of this happened prior to the June 25th Strand Theater event. Following the closing of the show, Miss Carr vanished into the night, and apparently so did Mr. Paoli, leaving Mr. Colleton, the jilted husband, and Mr. McDonald, the jilted producer, in the dust. This time she stayed with Mr. Paoli, and I was able to find an article she penned for Billboard magazine in 1926 under the name Virginia Carr Paoli. She continued to perform as a mind reader as late as 1948, but at some point she went back to using the name Princess Zuleka. Who was Janesta? His real name was Royden Joseph Gilbert Risen Della Janesta. That's a mouthful. He was born March 29, 1878 in Ashland, Kentucky. Janesta billed himself as the Wizard of Wonders, and he began his career as a hypnotist performing under the name Della Janesta. But eventually he settled upon being an escape artist. In 1922, he was handpicked by Houdini to head up the number two unit of the Houdini Wonder Show. For his appearances, he presented his death-defying escape from a barrel of water. Basically, this was an effect similar to Houdini's milk can escape, a locked container filled with water in which he would escape. One benefit of having Janesta was his car. Yes, his car. Janesta traveled around in a Ford motorhome, which helped defer hotel costs. He also carried his own scenery, which was a backdrop curtain painted with giant diamond eyes. According to Billboard magazine, April 1926, Janesta had purchased a ranch and retired to Georgia. However, Janesta continued to grace the vaudeville stages as he appears in a news report just two years later doing his act. Janesta actually took a page from the Houdini book and used his water barrel escape for challenges. In 1928, Janesta was challenged by the Charlotte Coca-Cola Company to escape from a 60-gallon syrup barrel. No doubt Janesta's barrel was used for the effect, though it was still filled with water, not Coca-Cola. Two years later, Janesta would actually go down in magic history for a tragedy with the milk can. According to Houdini's Fabulous Magic by Walter Gibson, Janesta was to present the milk can escape in Frankfort, Kentucky on November 8, 1930. The stage crew apparently dropped the can while loading it into the theater. That drop caused the can to be damaged and later during the show made it impossible for Janesta to escape. He had to be cut out of the can and was rushed 
to the hospital. He died the next day. One note, however, the linking ring from November 1930 has his obituary, and it says that he was doing his water barrel escape rather than the milk can. Now, Genesta was known for his barrel escape, so I have a feeling that indeed it was the barrel escape that he got trapped in, but it got reported as the milk can because the can was better known overall. Both the water barrel and the milk can are basically the same sort of escape, just with different devices. The outcome is sadly the same. Janesta died tragically. Who was Erickson? That's a good question. I believe Erickson was from England and he was a manipulator in the style of Cardini. He was known for a very classy card manipulation act and he also became famous in his time for his cups and balls routine which ended with three small glasses of wine underneath. I'm afraid I don't know much else about Erickson nor his wife, Mademoiselle Amelia. Who was DeMont? He was an Italian named Charles DeMont who lived in Brooklyn, a very versatile performer who was equally good at punch and judy shows, straight magic, crystal gazing, and even escapes. He was known to present shooting through a woman as well as the Chinese linking rings and an exceptional billiard ball manipulator. He headed the number three unit of Houdini's Wonder Show. In later years, he changed his stage name to Dagmar. Who was Mystic Clayton? He was born Henry Clayton Wilbur, and by all accounts was a charismatic crystal gazer mind reader. He wore elaborate costumes, which included a silk cape and jewel-encrusted turban, a la Alexander, he performed from 1917 to the mid 1930s. In 1919, he collaborated on a show with the great Leon called The Famous Oriental Miracle Show. In 1922, he became the star of the number four unit of the Houdini Wonder Show. Following the successful run of the shows and movies, he hired Frederick Eugene Powell to open for him. That would end up being Powell's last full-time gig as a magician. In 1923, Mystic Clayton wrote a book, 30-page book, called How to Converse with the Spirit World. Henry Wilbur, the Mystic Clayton, died in 1945. Who was Frederick Melville? He was known for an illusion called the Moto Girl. In 1915, he presented a lecture talk called the Diplodocus, which I believe is a talk about the dinosaur of the same name. In the Houdini Wonder Show, he presented some sort of radio-controlled automaton. The Moto Girl illusion actually was played by a female, so I'm guessing the radio-controlled automaton... Uh, was what we actually call a false automaton. It looks like a mechanical device, but it's really controlled by a hidden accomplice. Who was Benton? There's only one brief mention of Benton in all the articles I found on the Houdini Wonder Show. I have a feeling he was a quick fill-in for someone who may have been ill, but I did track down Benton, who was Professor Thomas Benton. In 1922, he was already past the age of 60 with a full head of gray hair, and he had been in the magic business for over 40 years. He presented magic as a master magician and could also present a marionette act, as well as being an accomplished ventriloquist. 
To wrap things up and all the research to uncover the details on the Houdini Wonder Show, I came across one article that was about the movie, The Man from Beyond, that I found very interesting. The article basically said that Houdini filmed a second ending to the movie in the event that one of his stunts went bad and he died during production. Now, this could just be hype or it could be real. As Houdini survived the filming of the movie, he no doubt left the extra footage on the cutting room floor, if it existed at all. It's a fun fact about the movie, and we all love trivia. Whether or not it's true, we'll probably never know. And that, my friends, is the story of Houdini's Wonder Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it in whatever way your podcasting device will allow. And if you're so inclined uh, to give me a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts, I'd greatly appreciate that as well. The more five stars I get, the more I move up in the ranking with the Apple Podcasts. And please tell a friend about the podcast. Please help me grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well and be safe. Joshua J, and I've been obsessed with magic since I was seven years old. It's all I've ever done. And now I'm here to share with you how magicians think. It's a podcast about what happens when you spend every waking second of your life pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Audio.